performance is not just for top athletes and actors. It's something we engage in every day of our lives. But the question is, are we performing at our best? How we think, feel, and behave all influence our results from day to day. Dr. Christie and her guests will show you the common elements behind performance and how it all ties back to our success. Welcome to The Mental Game of Life with Dr. Christy Warner. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Christy Warner, and I'm super thrilled to be with you today. On The Mental Game of Life, we're looking at performance through the lens of the everyday. What are you doing every day that adds up to the results in your life, such as how well organized or calm are you in the morning to start your day off right? Do you really carve out time to focus on what's most important for you to do each day? Do you have a process to manage all that information flow hitting us in the information age or strategies to recharge your brain and body each day, especially before your big game, whatever the big game is in your world? All of our behaviors are driven by something much deeper, our beliefs. That's why reflecting and evaluating our thinking as well as our actions is so key. Our actions can be an indicator of our mental programming. And research now shows that we can change our brain and mental programming, those neurons in there, to really support more positive thinking results in our lives. I've, you've likely heard me say before, performance is equal to preparation and execution. And today we're gonna learn more about performance through the framework of CPR. Today we are finally circling back to part two of the corporate athlete. We're gonna look at how rhythm, focus, consistency, and accountability all play into the role of our performance. Before going forward, let's have a quick look back. During part one, Are You a Corporate Athlete? about four weeks ago, we jumped into exploring what it means to be a corporate athlete. I went over research from Jim Lairs and Tim Schwartz comparing prep time and downtime between athletes in the field and those in the boardroom. Shocking differences. And it showed that most business professionals are way overworking. We also talked about energy management and I gave some tips on using pre-performance routines and switch role routines to support preparation for performance in the workplace. We then had a little bit of a gap between part one and part two. And in the middle of that little sandwich um, was a show on behavior change and developing mastery. Another show on how the brain worked with some cool neuroscience research. And then last week, we got into the productivity space. How are you managing information and your electronic world? How can you drive productivity by being more organized and efficient with time, email, and many other things? All of those shows focus on elements of performance from slightly different perspectives. And the reason I'm doing this little recap of where we were is because today, you're going to probably hear some tie-ins or information that really supports or deepens the concepts from our other shows. And I honestly can't wait to dive in. But before we really get started, I want to take a moment to acknowledge a few holidays here in North America. So to all my friends, family, and listeners in Canada, happy belated Canada Day. Canada is now officially 150 years old in two days. And there are many great celebrations over the weekend. Next, to all those in the U.S., tomorrow is Independence Day, July 4th. So I'm wishing you a wonderful holiday with family and friends. It's so wonderful to slow down, to celebrate with others, to reflect on the country we live in and the opportunities that it provides us. An American icon, Michael Jordan said, some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. 
Today, our special guest is going to help us make it happen through a better understanding of how to use rhythm, consistency, accountability, and technology to increase our everyday performance. Our guest today, Travis Dommert, is a performance specialist and the co-founder of iRunYouRun.com, a habit transformational app. For over six years, he studied and analyzed habits of great athletes and specialized military professionals, as well as thousands of corporate professionals. Using basic human performance principles and technology, he has helped the world's top employers and their people elevate their focus, consistency, and accountability so they can live a high-performance life. Not only has he been a high-performance consultant, but about two years ago, he took his knowledge in-house to one organization and became a president of Jackson Health IT a national healthcare IT staffing company best known for their people-first culture and high-touch approach to partnering with clients and candidates. Jackson Health IT is part of a larger Jackson Healthcare system, which has been rated Atlanta's number one best place to work for three consecutive years, as well as awarded the healthiest larger employer in Atlanta. So not only is Jackson Healthcare a stellar place to work, but it clearly attracts top talent and amazing people like Travis to help lead the organization. I'm so honored to welcome both my friend and my colleague, Travis Dahmer, to the show today. Travis, are you there? I am. Christy, how are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for that kind introduction. Well, thank you so much for taking time right before the holiday here and to be on the show. I so appreciate it. Absolutely. So let me dive in because we have lots to lots to talk about. So the first thing I would love to know is, uh, could you share just a little bit about your journey to becoming a performance specialist? Sure. Yeah, I think it was um, it was a long time ago, and I can't remember when. I think it was probably 1994 when um, I first met the woman who would become my wife uh, in 1992, and by 94 she told me she had a dream of running a marathon someday. And I hated running, and I thought it was probably the craziest thing I'd ever heard of. But um, I think because of the influence, because of the person, I said, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And uh, I signed up for it, and I think it was the first time I really stepped way outside my comfort zone and had to train really hard for something and got to experience that transformation when you actually achieve something you didn't know that you could. So my first running race ever was a marathon, and... Later, we did other endurance races and just kind of became um, a student of growth and development and realized all those same things apply to work. And so uh, it was many years later that I got an opportunity to uh, get involved in I Run, You Run. It was a friend of mine who had this concept. Uh, His name is Mark Newton. And Mark told me about it, and he said, basically, it's, it's how you achieve success. And I was just instantly hooked and uh, ultimately joined him to try to launch it as a business and, and put the app out there into the world. Wow, that's a really awesome story. And I don't know if I knew that you had ran a marathon. That is an incredible accomplishment. Oh, well, thank you. Um, yeah, it's one of those things I, I tell people almost anyone can do it. We later did an Ironman triathlon, and it was kind of the same experience. If, you've, if your back is not bad and your knees aren't bad, don't worry about the fact that you currently can't do any of that stuff. You'll get lots of opportunity to learn how and practice and get better at it. 
Wow, that's amazing. Well, definitely Ironman is on the it's in a league of its own, so it's really amazing that you've been able to accomplish that. So, I'm very curious. Could you tell us you've already mentioned a little bit about I Run You Run. Can you tell us a little bit about the company and tell us a little bit about the app? Sure. Yeah, I Run You Run is a product of many, many years of application in Mark Newton's life. Again, Mark was a good friend of mine and uh, gosh, I think it was about 2002-ish, uh, he was struggling to get an insurance business off the ground, and um, he was failing, and he wasn't used to failing. He was really working hard, but he was not getting results, and he describes it as really this sort of reaching the end of himself in, in sort of a desperate moment where he was ready to quit, and he put his head down, and he, he said a prayer, and he basically said, you know, God help me, because I'll give this up today. If, if this is not what I'm supposed to do, but if I am, I need an answer. And he said, like, instant answer to prayer. It was an amazing experience for him. He'll be changed for it forever. But it was really a simple message. Um, take your business plans and all these things you want to accomplish and put them in the garbage. Your plans are not going to get you where you need to be. Instead, write down the five or six things you should be doing every week and then start doing them. It was like that simple. And so he put um, six things in a spreadsheet, six activities that he thought he should do every week that would help him grow his business. And then he started scoring himself on how well he did those things. And he set up a little, almost a little game. He set it up so he would score himself and earn up to 100 points each week for getting those things done. And what he learned was in two months, he'd yet to score 100 even once. His average scores were in the 30s. And it became abundantly clear that other people were not the problem to growing his business, that he was. And taming his own distractedness was going to be a key to his success, and he subsequently did. It took him about six months of consistently uh, getting scores in the 90s on his little spreadsheet before uh, it started turning into sales. And he kept it completely to himself. He was embarrassed that he had to do something that sort of silly and simple to make himself do the same things over and over again. And um, a couple of years later, he was validated by a gentleman who was his mentor. He was extremely successful. And this man um, found out what Mark was doing, and he said, you need to share that with people. That, that's your business, actually. You need to take your system out there and sell it. And Mark tried to explain to him it wasn't a system. It was just a spreadsheet. It was just you know six little things. It was uh, starting on time and making some calls and learning something every day and clearing his to-do list, really simple things. He said, no, that's the system. And uh, most people are focused on results and goals, um, but they don't know how to achieve them. That's how you achieve them. And so for seven more years, he just used his system. He did not do anything with it, but occasionally would share it with friends and it was about seven years into that journey that uh, I was sitting down learning about it. And uh, by that time, he actually had built it into a website. And so we, we proceeded to develop it into an app and launch it as a, um, as a free app with a pay version and, and ultimately turned into some consulting services as we learned about how hard it is to do five or six simple things consistently. Wow, thank you for sharing that story. I mean, every time I hear it, it's amazing how something so simple in one person's life can really catapult and apply and resonate with many people. And what's interesting about the app, as you know, I've been on it for a number of years, is um, 
why do people struggle with doing things consistently? What? <laughs> well, it's funny. We, you know, we didn't know. We just knew that if you do these things consistently, you'll be successful. And so Mark proved it out to himself, and then he proved it out with others. And so ultimately, we, we think we've got the answer. And we put it out there to the world and say, anything you want to get good at, you're going to have to do consistently. Um, but then what we found over the course of the coming couple of years was how huge of a struggle it is. And many interviews and, and research studies and, and uh, market research and learning a lot of things trial and error by screwing up and making every conceivable mistake, what we learned was there are very, very few people who can truly manage themselves and stay intentional just by wanting to or just by trying. Um, most of us have a really gross misperception of how habits work and how hard it is. And so whether that's wired into us as a fight-or-flight mechanism, I'm not sure, but we are just hyper-distractible. And the only thing we're really good at doing consistently usually is uh, seeking out the things we probably shouldn't do. <laughs> if it's things that are helping us to get better, stronger, whether that's as a business person or executive, whether that's as an athlete, whether that's as a friend or a spouse, we find, wow, it's hard. Um, people say we don't like change. Well, people don't like doing the same thing either. Um, you've got to figure out how to, how to leverage some of these hacks. And what we knew was it, at least it's possible. We don't know exactly why it's so hard. We don't have all the answers, but we started to see it is possible because there are people who do hard things every day consistently for a living. And as you know, Christy, later that led us into the study of soldiers and athletes. And there are people who have figured out how to crack it. And uh, so anyway, a lot of our discoveries came from there. Yeah, and in a study that you did with you and your team, Ryan, you found that in eight weeks, 80% of people quit the new behavior and in 12 weeks, 3% of people were still performing at a high level, meaning like they right. were doing that on a very consistent basis every day. Like that's an yeah, amazing our, statistic. It was disheartening, quite honestly. <laughs> we thought we are going to make a living based off of a subscription-based tool. And then we found out we developed a tool that people quit like crazy. And it wasn't ultimately, you know, we, we kind of got over it. We didn't take it too hard personally. We realized it wasn't the tool. It was the nature of people. And if you don't have the tool, that you have the blessing of sort of ignorance. You think maybe you're, you're hanging in there or, or maybe you just forgot or you even changed your mind that it was even important to begin with. But when you have a tool or you have some mechanism that continues to hold up a mirror and show you, you know that thing you said you were going to do? You're not doing it anymore. Um, you do, you start to learn a lot. And, you know, gosh, it was amazing. We found 42% of people never even started. They declared what they were going to do, and then they never did it even once. So you lose almost half the people at the starting line. You lose another half within two months. Um, if you actually say, what, what is it everybody wants to do? Um, nobody wants to just try or flounder. Most people want to succeed. And so we said, success is scoring 90 or better. Well, that's the high bar. That's the A player. And that's when we found about 3% of people after 12 weeks are playing at that A level. And so it is, it's not just uncommon. It's extraordinary. And hopefully that actually disarms this whole process and makes it, you know, I don't want to give everybody an out, but they shouldn't feel bad about themselves because it's not like some people are disciplined and some aren't. Pretty much 
nobody is. And, um, and, and actually, we, we're all capable, but we won't do it on accident, and we probably won't do it on our own. And, and that's okay. Once you kind of embrace your limitations, then you can learn how to work within them. Right, and that's one thing I like about I Run, You Run is that accountability piece because I know earlier this year I shared with listeners a number of shows ago that I released about 18 pounds of weight and I got a coach and the accountability was great. And the app is that sort of accountability piece. And so what is it about having to be accountable to someone or something that helps us with habits? Well, it, it's definitely psychological. I, You know, you may know better than I, but... Um you know, what we found was there are different people who trigger certain amounts of accountability. And with all people, it gradually wears off. Um, so, we're, you know, we're extremely adaptable and extremely efficient. And so we get used to things very quickly. And so it's one thing for me to say, let's have a colleague or somebody who um, is an indirect report, you know, another person at work, and they can see what I'm doing. And at first, that's going to have a big impact. I'm, oh my gosh, I said I was going to do these three things, and now they can see if I do them. And I doesn't even matter who they are. Anybody watching is going to cause me to want to do them, to some extent or another, and it depends on the person. But what we found is different people can cause a bigger trigger and for longer. So having the boss watch you. So we did a study where we had um, leaders on teams, typically the president or the CEO of a company, on a team with people. And it didn't matter what the behavior was. They did better if the president or the CEO was on their team. So we said, okay, hierarchy kind of matters. Like if you have a person with some authority or influence over you, that influences it. But what we ended up learning was the most powerful accountability partner is a loved one. And so if that's a friend, if that's a spouse, um, that can have more impact on you than a stranger or even than a boss because they truly care about you. And they're more likely to lean into that accountability and talk about why is it you're not doing what you said you were going to do without the threat of your job or anything else. They really want to know about you. Um, And then we discovered what I think is the ultimate, uh, the highest accountability experience that I have found thus far is with adults' children. And so if you tell your kids you're going to do something, it is really getting wrapped up in your identity for you to not do it. And for the example that you set and all that says about you, um, it has a lot to do with your integrity. So I, I started encouraging people, if you have children, um, make them your accountability partners. I experienced with my daughter, who was 10 at the time, and um, gosh, she was merciless with me if I didn't do something. <laughs> so anyway, uh, it, yeah. it is interesting That's- how they differ, but the main thing is get, get a partner. And, uh, right. and then there's some other tricks of the trade we can talk about. Yeah, that's great. So we're going to break just for a few minutes for commercial. And then when we get back, we'll plunge into more insights about performance uh, with your research and work with corporate professionals. We'll be back in a few minutes. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. 
Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. Each week, Larry Sternberg joins Dr. Kim Turnage to explore management issues from culture to discipline in Managing to Make a Difference. Join Talent Plus for 60 minutes of dynamic conversation, including real-life management examples helping you manage teams across the globe. This series airs on Voice America, the business channel, Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. Managing to Make a Difference every Thursday afternoon with Larry Sternberg and Dr. Kim Turnage. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Kless. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. This is The Mental Game of Life. To reach Dr. Christy Wanner, send an email to thementalgameoflife at gmail.com. Again, that's thementalgameoflife at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Thanks so much for joining the show. I'm here with performance specialist Travis Dahmert, and we're about to embark on a fun journey, exploring deeper into the insights that Travis has gathered through his experience working with high performers. Before the break, we were talking about accountability and why that's so important, and apparently getting your kids involved, really key. So if you've got kids, um, they can be your accountability partner. So Travis, the other, I mean, I, you know I have a lot of questions for you, but the one thing I would love for you to talk about is this concept in business where so many people are focused on the end game, on the results. What's right. the downside of that? Well, I, I can't say specifically that it's a bad thing for people to focus on results. Results are great. We all want results. It's just not how we get results. You know, I think that's the key thing is most people will, whether they focus on sales or revenue or profitability, um, profitability does not beget profitability. You know, it comes as a result of, of behaviors. And so, um, unfortunately, we're just we're not taught this in school. We're mostly taught a a goal setting mindset of set out to do something and then do it. And yet, a lot of um, what are the most important performance drivers and drivers of sustainable high performance are habits. And Habits aren't really taught in school. How do you start doing something intentionally and stick with it? If you do the right things, you will typically put yourself on a predictable path, and that path has results. And uh, so anyway, we, we, we've all learned that probably the hard way, uh, those who have, have worked in this space. Um, but it's still challenging. You, you want to measure results, but you've got to go back and measure the inputs. That's really where you can control where your, your results are going to come from. Yeah, I remember when I was an athlete, like 
one of my coaches always said, you got to focus on the process. If you can focus on the process, the outcome will be there for you. So it sounds very right. similar to me. It's like focusing on the be- key behaviors and how you're working will ultimately lead to better results. Is that basically what you're saying? Absolutely. 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 Yeah. I mean, you can want sales all, all you want, but if you aren't doing the research, um, you know, finding the pain points, developing a value proposition, delivering a, you know, a really solid message, then you're not going to get results. Um, as you peel that onion, though, there's more. And that's what we found is, as we got more into it. Okay, so how do you consistently do the, the high payoff activities in sales or leadership? And suddenly you find out, wow, actually um, doing my research and delivering a good message and listening, well, those require another whole set of habits. The inputs to listening and empathy and thinking strategically, well, those are things like sleep and nutrition and hydration and exercise and sound mental game. And so anyway, that's where it got really interesting. And we ultimately uncovered the corporate athlete program. And and it was like, um, I don't know, it was like finding... Uh, the gold at the end of the rainbow, like, oh my gosh, this is where it comes from. Yeah, and so you ultimately, I mean, through this process, you, I mean, you went through a lot of learning, it sounds like, and you developed a framework. That's what I call it, a framework for how people can really think through how to drive performance in their life called CPR. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of walk us through your findings and this framework and how we can use it to think through our own performance? Sure, yeah. So CPR is the framework. R is results, and that's coming at the end. And, again, what we learned was um, you get results by focusing on the right behaviors. Well, we started out focusing on work behaviors. And as we were primarily initially working with leaders and sales teams, it was all about sales behaviors and leadership behaviors and things that you do at work. And so that formed the P, which is production. And I'm kind of working backwards in CPR for a reason. So we said, okay, your results come from your production activities. But just as I said, as we, as we got into teams and found, you know, what limits you uh, from doing your toughest behaviors consistently at work and doing them right, you know, doing them at a really high performance level. And it actually even came about more sort of uh, by chance than that. We, we actually asked a group of 400 leaders, tell us about the five or six most important things you have to do to be successful at work. And about a third of the data came back, and we set it aside because we didn't think it was relevant. It was things like date night and exercise and hydration and, and some of the things I just mentioned. And so we thought, well, gosh, there's a million apps for that, and no, nobody's going to uh, pay us to come in and talk to their leadership team or their sales team about their personal habits. So we just kept focusing on production, production, production. Do the right production, you'll get results. And then it was. It was the making of a corporate athlete, the, the Harvard Business Review article and subsequent books by uh, Jim Lair and Tony Schwartz um, that, that actually led us to take the risk and talk to business people about their personal habits. And we realized that's where their capacity to perform comes from. And that was the C in the model, is capacity times production equals results. If you don't have any capacity to perform, you put a zero in that spot. It doesn't matter how hard you try to produce you're not going to get results. And likewise, if you've got great capacity, awesome personal habits, you're coming to work energized and totally engaged, but you don't do the hard work, you get no results. And so that's when we realized it's not, a, it's not an additive game. It's not a balancing game. It's a simple multiplication equation. 
capacity, the ability to work, and the energy it takes to be successful times the actual work itself, what we call production, is how you get results. That's great. So I love, I love this because I teach a lot of this, maybe a different framework, but about the importance of taking care of yourself in order to perform. Mm-hmm. And so many times people forget about that. And I hear all the time people will say, well, I've been running a business for years. I work 12, 14 hours a day. I get four or five hours of sleep and my, res- my results are great. <laughs> so what do you do with that? When you know capacity, your capacity, all those things that help to fuel your body, your mind, your soul are so important. But then you have these people out there who are working themselves to death, literally, but yet right. they feel like they're getting good results. What do you say to that? Yeah, I, I ask them to just humor me. Just humor me. I, I'm not, I'm not going to argue that your results are not great. They may be great, and they may be the greatest results anyone has ever known that does what you do. I will just bet you they're not your best results. So you may be great, but you may be nowhere near your potential if you're operating on one cylinder. But if you're not taking great care of yourself, if you're not in the best shape of your life, if your relationships are in the tank, I promise you, you don't have the fuel to be achieving your potential. So I usually would initiate a challenge, six weeks, 12 weeks, some modest period of time. Say, I want you to sleep seven or more hours a night. I want you to start hydrating. I want you to start working on your relationships. I want you to get in great shape, hydrate and feed yourself well, uh, body, mind, soul, and see what happens. Just humor me. And we had one high-performing leader. He'd been a Division I basketball player. He said he'd operated on four to five hours of sleep for 20 years. Three weeks later, he said, I'm a new man. I'm a new creation. I'm like a different person than I was. And I'm telling you, I'm a different husband, I'm a different leader, and I'm a different person because I finally started getting the sleep my body needed and I thought it was only for weak people. <laughs> it was great. You know, it changed him. But... You get really high-achieving, high-performers, and they can, they're somewhere they've bought into a lie that they have to kill themselves to get their best, and they're actually not getting their best. They might be getting more than other people, but um, it's just unfortunate because it's so hard on their, their, uh, their ultimate performance. Yeah, that's exactly it, and I talk about that, being a high-performer but without all the high costs, and how, do you, mm. how can you balance that equation, you know? And so when we talk about capacity, we talk about those all those things that really support us to then perform. I have heard you talk about the race car analogy that I love. Would you share that with the listeners? You bet. I think it really puts the point, you know, makes the point really yeah. strong. Yeah. Well, so we started talking about this with groups and got instant engagement. And so what we found is the pain point in a lot of businesses or, you know, where a lot of people feel they're underperforming is in their personal habits. So, you know, I can ask them about their sales calls, but when I ask them, are you in the best shape of your life? It's like all the pain comes out and you realize, ah, they're hurting. And so there's no way they're operating optimally. But then we have the challenge of, okay, how do we measure this and hold you accountable? And what we were often doing on the I Run, You Run app is putting their mix of personal and professional behaviors or capacity and production behaviors on the same dashboard and then producing a single score, you know, zero to 100 every week. The problem was if you've got a 70 I don't know if you need more capacity or more production. And so we, Mark and I, were, we were on a flight back from a conference in Canada, and, and we're crossing the country back to Atlanta. And we're trying to draw out how we would set up a dashboard where we could actually monitor how are people doing capacity and production. 
because we said if it was like a race car, you can't drive a race car with a single number. If, if the number was how optimally are you driving, and then you look down and you say, okay, I'm suboptimal, I'm at 70%. But you look at the floor on the car and there's a gas pedal and there's a brake pedal. You don't know which one to push. Maybe you actually need to lay off. You're over-revving the engine, it's hot, you know, you're going to crash. Or maybe you're actually not working hard enough and you need to punch the gas. And that's when we realized, wow, if you actually separate these two and you run two scores and you measure one score is how you're doing in capacity and one score is how you're doing production, it's like having a fuel gauge and a tachometer. And suddenly it's like, yes, I can see how much gas do we have, how much potential do we have, how much energy do we have, and then how hard are we actually working? And that really was a breakthrough for us in helping teams kind of calibrate um, their capacity actions versus their production actions. And sometimes they hide, they hide each other. Mm-hmm. I think it helps just personally to think about that, to kind of separate, okay, producing results. These are the behaviors I'm going to do to produce results. These are all the things I'm going to do to fuel myself and that I need both in order to be a high performer. Right. Not one or the other. It's both. And, and again, that's where people often will talk about balance, and they think balance is, you know, people can get all wrapped around the axle on, is balance a good thing, a bad thing, is it even real? Um, however, you, you know, we're dynamic beings. We're always doing sort of one thing if we're doing it well. We can't do everything. It's just learning to oscillate and get into those rhythms between am I expending my fuel or am I regaining and recovering it? And um, if I don't do both, I won't deliver maximum results. In fact, at work, if you don't work hard, you probably won't have a job. But if you work really hard at the expense of yourself, you may not have a marriage or your health or your kids or, you know, friendships or other things that make life worth living. Exactly. Those those major costs. So one of the things that you've done is uh, study to understand corporate performance. You and your team spend a lot of time studying habits of athletes and military professionals. And I've really uncovered some secrets to creating habits. Can you share some key insights that you've learned from your research? Sure. Um, I I think one of the big takeaways was um, it started with clarity. We found that our soldiers and athletes were extraordinarily clear on what they have to do to be successful. So they actually train most of the time. They get really, really specific. They know how to hold their feet, their face, you know, their knuckles, and and so it, there is just a really high attention to detail. And yet when we would talk to most people in the business world, they might have goals for the quarter or for the year, but nobody's actually taught them on how, what do you need to do to be successful. And so clarity was the first thing. Do you really know the specific things that you need to do and how to do them right to be successful? Once you know, then it's like, okay, can you sustain these hard behaviors? And that's where we have them. And so rhythm is very interesting and deep concept in and of itself, but we learned that even knowing the right things to do and doing them is not sustainable. If I do all the hard things consistently, I can't go all day. I can't go all week. I certainly can't go all year. And so in order to to really push and do the hard things right, you've got to know uh, some basic limits on how long you can maintain your attention and your willpower and your energy level. And so we started teaching rhythms where soldiers and athletes, you know, will typically go really hard for minutes, not for hours or days or weeks. Um, They've got a natural rhythm to their day. They've got a rhythm to their week. They've got a rhythm to their season. And so it was the seasonal rhythm also that doesn't really exist at work. We go all year. And when we started realizing, wow, we shouldn't go that hard, even with a good, healthy daily rhythm, 
uh, for more than maybe t- 10 to 12 weeks, uh, we started finding, wow, people aren't ever doing that seasonal recovery. When they get those two things right, they now are sort of set up to succeed. Now it's layering in accountability, a ton of reinforcement, and then finally a, a level of leadership. And so those were the five factors. We found all five of them present in athletic teams, in special forces teams, in Olympic training environments, high clarity, strong rhythms, and then very high levels of accountability, reinforcement, and leadership. So I can go into any more of those in detail if you like. Yeah, I mean, I think we talked a little bit about accountability before, but what about the reinforcement? How does that help to create uh, good habits and, and, and reoccurring behaviors? Big breakthrough. What I mentioned earlier was that the accountability relationships can kind of wear off. If I know you're watching, it impacts me. But it, the next day it impacts me a little less. And if, at some point, whether that's two weeks or two months or two years, um, it's like I don't even notice that you're watching me. And they talk about that with TV shows. Like you don't even see the camera after a while. And so what we found was you actually need someone to talk to you about your performance, not just watch you. And that's where we had a big breakthrough on how much of that you really need and how often you really need. So how often does somebody say, Christy, you did really great there. Here's what I want you to think about the next time you're getting ready to make that move or make that phone call or have this meeting. And most people at work don't get it at all. And it was actually you and I had a conversation years ago about that. And you said, you know, I'm more self-motivated than more, most athletes. And what you told me was profound. You said, if in my ideal world, I probably would need that reinforcement like once a day. Not every five minutes, not every hour, but like at the end of each day would be ideal. And that was such a big impact on me because I realized, gosh, if you're a high-performing, um, personally self-motivated person and you need it every day and most people aren't getting it even once a year at a performance review, there's a huge gap. And so that's where we started really encouraging leaders. you got to talk about this stuff at least on a weekly basis. Yeah, and if you don't have a team sort of going through, I run, you run with you, what, where, how do you get that reinforcement? Is it just that self-reflection? Is it the pat on your back? Or do you really seek it out from other people to have a conversation about your behaviors? Well, so far, we haven't found anything that works as well as a conversation. We, we've experimented with um, accountability through dashboards, where someone can see what you do. We've done it through emails, where I'll send you an email on a regular interval, on, an, on a sporadic interval with different messages. And still, there is nothing as powerful as a simple conversation. And if you can get an accountability partner who will agree to do it with you, and maybe you offer to do it with them, then once a week, say each other's name. So you would, if you said Travis... I saw that you did this, and then make some observation about it. Great job, not such a great job, how can I help you? It activates me on a sustainable basis, whereas if you just shot me an email or a text message, hey, Travis, great job, it's not the same. And so we really think that conversation is crucial. Great. Thank you so much for for that, those insights. We've been going deep into understanding the key elements of high-level performance. Really thought-provoking material. When we return, Travis will share the single greatest driver of human behavior and talk about how to build a high-performance culture in an organization. Stay tuned. We'll be back in a few minutes. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
Do you realize that the root of your challenges lie within you? It's time to find out more about coaching and how it can help both you and your business. Coaching for Real with Ronald Graves will help you gain a deeper level of self-awareness to find the answers inside yourself. Our guests are business professionals just like you who agree to a coaching session on our radio program. Tune into Coaching for Real live every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. If you are a small business owner or a creative freelancer in pretty much any field, you can't miss Let's Get Radical. Your hosts, Jody Paydar and Liz Gold, will help you redevelop your plans, policies, and practices to take a radical turn in order to achieve new success. They spotlight the latest in technology, attitudes, what others are doing, and what can help you. Tune in every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And let's get radical. Does your organization lack proper leadership? We're not necessarily talking about experience, but about how to face the changing dynamic of leadership today. Sometimes the people we lead know more. Old ways don't work anymore, and the comfort zone just becomes too easy. Listen for Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. We'll show you how you can adapt and develop your leadership skills to today's workplace. Every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is The Mental Game of Life. To reach Dr. Christy Wanner, send an email to thementalgameoflife at gmail.com. Again, that's thementalgameoflife at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to the show. I'm here with guest Travis Dahmert, performance specialist and co-founder of I Run You Run and president of Jackson Health IT. Travis has been sharing with us some really key things about creating habits. One is get clear about what you need to do to be a great performer. What are those daily things you need to do? Find a rhythm that supports you. Have some accountability. Great with a a loved one, with uh, someone at work to be accountable, not just for the work behaviors, but also for that capacity building behaviors. Have reinforcement, conversations around your performance. And then, of course, leadership. So, Travis, the one thing that I would love for you to um, answer is how can we use a, a transformational app like I Run You Run to help us with these five factors of creating great habits for performance? Sure. Um, you know, the, the app actually makes each one of these possible. And so the, they're not they're simple. They're not easy, but they're simple. So, for example, the, the app simply asks you to put in those behaviors that you think you need to do consistently to be successful. We call them key actions. Well, when you go to put your cursor into that blank and you have to explain what is the key action I'm going to do, it's going to ask you, okay, now how often? How many times per week? And when you get that granular and you say, what are the, the two, three, four, five uh, key actions that I need to do consistently to be successful? And now I need to define how many times I'm going to we- do them each week or how I'm going to define whether or not I did it, you're going to arrive at clarity. It may be an iterative process, but just defining those key actions will help lead to the clarity you need. The next thing for the rhythm is just being realistic. 
about you know how long you can go on something. And so um, using the app and running it for a week and then being able to start over and refresh is in itself one of the rhythms. A weekly rhythm is really powerful where you reset, you reflect on what you did last week, you approach the new week with a clean slate, and you attack it again. Accountability can come from just the transparency. If you've got a, a partner on the app, uh, a friend or an accountability buddy, they can see whether you did your actions. Uh, so they can, they can check in 24-7 anytime. Um, they can get an email to see what your score is throughout the week. Um, and then the, the reinforcement, which I just can't underscore enough, is so important and so not done well in, in most, especially most businesses. Uh, managers want to believe they can set it and forget it. But the truth is you've got to come back and come back and come back again and again is talk about performance. And the great thing about having an app is now you've got some data. You've got something objective that says, okay, you said you were going to do these things. It looks like you only did two of them. What happened? No judgment, but you now have the ability to have that conversation. Instead of just coming to meet with a person and say, how did you do last week? You're actually armed with data, and you can have a much more insightful and efficient conversation. Uh, that's for reinforcement. The leadership piece is something ultimately that, that you really have to bring yourself. If you're an organizational leader, this means you've got to lead, lead the crowd. You've got to participate yourself. And so if you talk a good game about performance, the app makes it possible for you to actually track your own behaviors and share those with your team. Now they can see you do more than just talk a good game. You walk the talk. The other thing is for all of the other participants, if you're not the leader, is nobody can make you do these things. Totally voluntary. It's going to show whether or not you're leading yourself well. And, and so, again, um, whether it's an app or you use the three-by-five note card, you've got to have some mechanism for tracking and then reinforcing and, and keep bringing yourself back to what these behaviors are if you're going to sustain them. Yeah, that's such a great point because we can have very faulty memories about what we think and thought we did last week. <laughs> so it's really important to track those and uh, appreciate you walking through that. And I love how you ended with leadership because that really – it takes us into uh, to switch gears a little bit to talking from talking about the individual performance to your experience with building a high performance culture. The last two years, you've been sharing your wisdom and knowledge internally as a president of one of Jackson Healthcare 16 companies. Can you share a little bit about the company and your experience with this transition? Sure. Yeah. So Jackson was one of my first clients at I Run You Run, and years into it, as we were doing more and more consulting. Um, we were, in more cases, uh, either giving the app to clients and charging them for consulting services or just telling them, just use the free version of the app. The app wasn't the real money maker, even though it was necessary. The, it was the insights around how do you sustain behavior that ended up really deepening our relationships with clients. Um, ultimately, uh, Jackson offered me a job to come, and it, was, it wasn't to come in as a performance specialist and just try to coach everybody up or teach accountability. But they actually had an opportunity to run one of the companies, and they had a portfolio of companies, um, mostly in the healthcare staffing world. And it was a, just a great opportunity. But with it, they said, now bring everything that you know, um, but we, we'll give you sort of a laboratory, but the job is really to run a company. And being a, a leadership buff and somebody who'd run a couple of staffing companies before, it was such a unique opportunity. Come in and actually walk the talk. Um, and, and actually apply it with a team. And so um, I've got a small, a small team at Jackson Healthcare. 
Um, we have dashboards up. We use I run, you run, and, and it was just a great opportunity to say, okay, now are all the things that I'm learning and preaching and teaching, they really work? And what's it like to be on the other side of the chair? And so it's been just an awesome experiment to, to actually sort of have a laboratory but really get into the shoes of my clients. And so I have responsibility for running a business. That's my day job. And the pursuit of high-performance, sustainable high-performance culture is a passion, and it's sort of like the mission. Um, I realized it's, it's the lubricant that causes you know, all this stuff to keep moving inside the business. But um, anyway, so I've been, I've been doing that for the last two years, and it's almost like another higher level of education when you go from uh, um, talking about it to actually practicing it. Yeah, I can only imagine what that transition has been like for you. But I know that you're doing it with grace and ease and, and putting a lot of great things in place to help create a high-performance culture. Can you talk a little bit about the programs or elements you're putting into place um, in your company? Sure. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing is figuring out how do you make things like this sustainable. And we saw that with our, our I Run, You Run clients. You know, no, no problem to have an event. We can have a training event, we can have an off-site, we can have a lunch and learn. We can get really excited really fast. Most of that is entertainment. It just doesn't last. And so what we had to figure out was, okay, in, in the real world of an operating business, how do we start something that we will continue doing six months from now and we'll continue to do next year and, then, and the year after that? Because that is the essence of what we're teaching. Uh, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence is not an act but a habit. So... Um, as you get into a business, it, the sustainability piece is the biggest obstacle. It's the biggest opportunity. And so it wasn't enough to teach. It wasn't enough to equip people with an app. It was really about, okay, now how do we make this sustainable? And, and one of the biggest things that we did was we, uh, we shortened the, um, the goal lines or the finish lines. Instead of having people run all year, we said, okay, we're only going to go 12 weeks. Every 13th week, you take off. You don't measure those key behaviors. You reset, you reflect, you recharge. We do something called a personal quarterly offsite. And that behavior, I think, has really helped um, people realize just how hard this is and how if you try to go well, you lose sight of the urgency. But if you're really trying to go for 12 weeks, there's tremendous urgency always. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Here, oh, I've got to finish strong, and then bam, I did. I finished strong. And I take one week where I'm still going to work. It's a work week. It's not vacation. But at least one day that week, I deeply check out from what my day-to-day responsibilities are. And I really reflect on how am I feeling? How am I doing? How do I want to work or show up differently in the next quarter? Recalibrate and then start tracking again into the next quarter. And so establishing that quarterly rhythm has probably been one of the, the biggest uh, difference makers in the sustainability of something like this. And the one thing I'm hearing is is really the support of the organization to help build capacity, right? It's, mm-hmm. Yes, you want them to work. Yes, you want them to be performing well. Yes, you want the results. But at the same time, you're giving them that week sort of off of tracking, and then you're giving them a, a solid day to think. Like, that's an amazing thing to get these days in the, in the business world, opportunity to think. So to me, it yeah. sounds like you guys are really walking the talk in terms of let's, let's give these people that capacity back so when they go back, come back to reset they've got a little more energy. Well, and it, it takes a little faith. It takes a, a really strong belief that if somebody's achieving in their personal lives, they will bring that passion and engagement to work. 
And you've got to understand that if they're not, if you as their boss are crashing their lives, whether they're conscious of it or not, they will somehow make that connection. And the impact it's having on them as a person, as a, as a family member, as a friend, is going to get connected to you or to the business. And that at some point, subconsciously or consciously, they're going to be doing the evaluation. Is this job and is this company making me a better version of myself or a lesser version of myself? And I really believe if you lean in and try to figure out how to help people grow, even just personally, you will reap tremendous loyalty and engagement, more energy, and better results professionally. Um, I think, you know, we talk about it really simply. You just really have to care about people. And if you really don't care about people and you only care about results, it's going to be tough because you're going to have to invest. Um, I think the ROI is there. I think you could totally just care about the money and still come to the same conclusion that, wow, we need to actually nurture people's lives. Um, but, boy, it sure helps if you really do care about people or it's part of your mission. Yeah, I love that point, which really goes into my very last question for you. And I haven't left a lot of time for this, Travis, so you're going to have to condense it. But in your work, you have uncovered the single greatest driver of human behavior. Can you share this with the listeners, which will help us move into our recipe for success here? Uh, Sure. Um, I think what what you're alluding to, Christy, is purpose. And that is the deepest driver, is figuring out your why. Now, if I said, what is the greatest driver of behavior, period, it's probably (laughs) pleasure-seeking. But if you want to say, what's the greatest driver of of behavior toward your your awesome ability, uh, toward the best version of you, then it's going to get down to your identity. And we initially, uh, sort of the hard way, again, peeling the onion, peeling the onion, peeling the onion, and had a breakthrough. And I was talking to a former uh, Navy SEAL. And he said, BHAGs are great, BHOWs are better. And I knew Jim Collins had defined a BHAG as a big, hilarious, or a big, uh, hairy, outrageous goal, big, hairy, audacious goal is what it is. Anyway, he had a different definition. He said, a BHOW is a big, hilarious, outrageous why. And as a SEAL, they have to really come to terms with what will you die for? Who are you that cannot be taken from you? And when you realize you're a SEAL, you're a SEAL. You break through the training. You break through all the pain and the suffering. You realize they can't do anything to me that will take that away from me. That's who I am. And the tough thing is most of us are not pushed that hard to figure it out. But it is possible. And if people will lean in to who am I, why am I here, and that's their values, that's their, their talents, that's what they get excited about, and they figure out how do I apply that to my job they will discover they've got an endless source of energy to keep them coming back to try to get better. Well, that is awesome, Travis. Thank you so much for being on the show. I so appreciate it. So very special thank you to Travis Dahmer for being here today and sharing his knowledge about high performance in the workplace. I totally encourage you to check out I Run, You Run to track behaviors in your life. It's free, it's fun, and it is effective. So next week, join me again for another great hour as we move into the third section of this pilot series. We're moving out of focusing on individual work performance, and we're going to look at leadership and organizational culture as drivers of team performance. Travis got us moving in that direction by sharing his insights about building 
a high performance culture. We'll continue down that path for the next couple episodes. And of course, this show is for you. So if you have any thoughts on the show, a performance question or an area of focus for the show, please reach out to me via email at thementalgameoflife at gmail.com. I love hearing from you and I look forward to our time together next week. So if you want to drive sustainable high performance without the unhealthy cost to your personal life and health, decide today. What micro change will you make this week to increase your mental game? Until next week. Thank you for tuning into The Mental Game of Life with Dr. Christy Warner. Please be sure to join us again next Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Let's talk next week.